Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Finance is there to support the business, improve and be better. We, we're, we're a function to do that. What does that user want? What, why will we help the user through the information that, that we're giving to them? And it's having that type of mindset as well in terms of your communication, which makes you think, did they understand this? Did they take an action on this? Was it actually beneficial to them? Again, it's this whole learning as- aspect of not thinking as soon as you've done this report or you've done this spreadsheet, it's done, send it out, I've completed my task. Is actually, how can I iterate and improve on this to actually make it better for my organisation in the future? Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now you've just heard from Phil Thorne, who is this week's guest mentor. And it was really brilliant to bring Phil to you and share him with you today. Because over the last couple of years or so that I've gotten to know Phil, we've had some amazing conversations. He's a fantastic thinker about finance and the work he's doing at Corso is really helping finance teams have better conversations with the business, which are ultimately leading to more value add, more relevance, better communication, and the ability to move from this paradigm that uh, we've sort of had historically, which Phil will call mechanistic, to us being a bit more like an organism that's in the mold of modern exponential type companies that are built off th- these laws of agile. In actual fact, uh, Phil D constructs with us on this episode the three laws of agile. We also go into what successful finance teams are currently doing to help operations really simplify and actually be of more value with them to their organizations. And Phil shares some other tips on how we can break out from these old mechanistic ways and evolve. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did having it with Phil. It's always great to catch up with Phil. Hope that comes across on the episode. And if you're interested in understanding more about what we said, the key quotes, resources, and how to connect with Phil, you can check those out and more at sitnshow.com. And we really appreciate when you recommend the show to your colleagues and friends. You can subscribe now on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. And as always, thank you for investing your time with us today on the show. So that's enough for me. So without further ado, over to Phil and the show. Phil, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be on here, Andrew. Great to be involved. It's great to have you on the show, and it's really fantastic to share you with your audience. I know we've been chatting a lot over since we got to know each other over the last couple of years, but our audience may you know, not be as familiar with your background, so would you mind maybe giving us a brief introduction to your career story in finance? Yeah, so Andrew, you may find this a very familiar story, given your rugby background, but I, like you, am a massive rugby nut, and I very quickly realised that I was never going to be a professional rugby player. I didn't have the talent or the body for it. So I decided to do the next best thing, which like you probably is going and study economics and business, which I absolutely love the whole nature of understanding society, but also understanding business as well. And ultimately what we who've done economic and business do, we go off and either do one of three things. We either become consultants, become bankers, or we become accountants. And I became the second one of those things. So I worked for a big bulge bracket bank for a good part of a decade doing some really interesting things. So I started off in credit, 
during the financial crisis, which was an interesting oh, yeah, time. Yeah, to God, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was in capital markets during the sovereign debt crisis. And then finally ended up in a mixture of corporate finance M&A, which uh, my boss at the time called the birth, marriage, divorce and death of companies, which I thought was a wonderful way of describing it. But I, I realized during that time, and I think this is you know, one of the things that has really sort of guided me in, in terms of career, that there was a fundamental shift or change happening within the world and within companies at the moment. And that's really piqued me to go and join Corso. So I joined Corso as part of the founding team. And we may come on to describe a little bit more about what Corso does in a bit, but um, really understanding that we were in a new era of how companies should run themselves and a new era of management. And I wanted to be part of that and joining the founding team of Corso allowed me to do. And there at the moment, I, I cover finance and operations. So I've taken it from a position of just being a few people in a room to, to being the company across like three geographies, you know, talk, uh, working with you know, big bulge bracket firms in, in retail and QSR today. Thanks for that brief introduction. In terms of yourself, you were in banking and now you've gone yeah. in effect to being one of the leaders within a business, a, a startup that's, that's growing very well and e even in the challenging times. I mean, is it possible to say, how do you get comfortable with such a big leap and a complete change in environment? I think the thing is, the only thing that constant in life is change. So you either take the position that you want to go and take that change, mm. or you take the position of you want to be comfortable in the situation that you are in uh, available. And I had always been intrigued by the nature of what's changing in society and what's adapting in society, because society never stays constant. I was naturally drawn towards those things, which is, is why I went into that position. And, and I suppose, look, for some of our audience listening, and I, I know we have a few that do work in, in investment banking, uh, we have a lot of accountants as well, but anyone looking to make that leap into to leading or being on the leadership team of a startup, any sort of pearls or wisdom you can maybe share that you might have done differently or wish you'd done more of? I think that's a really interesting question and not one that... One that I've reflected a bit on, but not too much yeah. on. It's just everything moves so quickly. You don't have yeah. the ability to look back and reflect. In that. <laughs> that, that, that's actually a good um, one, actually. That is a good thing to take on board. It's that things move uh, so quickly. Oh. Move, things move so quickly. Expect the unexpected. Yeah. I think it's, it's about a lot of things at the moment, which is in, in a startup and a scale-up as we are now, volatility is the norm. So growth is the norm and trying to, to pick up in, the, in what is actually happening is the norm. And you can have the best expectations of what will happen in a year's time, two years' time, three years' time. But the reality is you have to also look at what's happening in front of you and adapt to the things and the changes in front of you as well, which is very much like, actually, I think companies today, given what's happening across the whole COVID crisis, are having to act far more like startups than they ever have. Interesting. Because they're having to go from that position of three to five-year plans, 12-month plans, even quarterly plans don't make sense anymore. It's all about the week to week or the month to month. What are the small goals that I can achieve today? How do I make sure that they are taking me in the right direction to succeed in future? And that's where I suppose, you know, the training, the, the, the grounding and finance and accounting and is, is very useful, I find, in terms of it does equip us to help organizations make better decisions. But on the other hand, and again, this is something I, I think you've called out, is this sort of paradigm shift in terms of how organizations are run. Do you mind maybe sharing a bit uh, about that with our audience? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I have certainly noticed and I think is, is a growing theme in terms of society at large at the moment is the way that we think about companies and the way that companies are being successful 
has dramatically changed. So if we think about the nature of the post-war company or the, the company even of 10, 20 years ago, it has been very mechanistic. So it is all about being putting your inputs, process them and outputs come out. And if you think about the way, the way that finance has thought about the organization, it has been putting through together these spreadsheets yeah. and put in your budgets, you, you expect certain things to happen. And a month after you put all this budget together, reality sets in and the world is nothing like what you expected it to be. And no one has hit their budget directly. And if they have, it's, it's purely by luck. And the nature of how I think people are looking at the world today is that companies aren't these robotic mechanisms. And, and frankly, they shouldn't treat their people like they're cogs in this robotic mechanism either. Yeah. They're more these organisms. They're, they're more these complex networks of people coming together who collectively are driving the purpose of the customer for the organization. And this is really important to the nature of how finance thinks about the organization, mm. how we think about where we sit within the organization, because it's not to be this sort of facilitator of the output machine. It's more to actually try and bring this adaptive agile organism driving in the right direction together. Yeah, it, it's for me, what images come to mind, what we've been doing over years with particularly spreadsheets, I, I, I'll go to that, is we set up these models and they work and then maybe maybe the person who set them up moves on to another role and we keep using those models, that sort of input, process, output, mechanistic. That's why we have the expression, we churn out the numbers. Numbers in, output, outcomes out. It's very much like we've, we're probably part of facilitating the old way of doing things. And yeah, so, uh, like, how do we break out from that? So I think one of the fundamental things here is that kind of interaction with the business is passive. It's so very, yeah. if, if you're just creating hollow models and then sending them out to the business, uh, I, I suppose it's the common question that you would ask to finance that the management report that you put together or, or the, the exception report that you put together, how much of the field of, of your organization yeah. is taking that and actually what decisions are they making on the back of that? And what are you learning about the organization associated with that as well? And I think there are too few finance departments who are thinking about this holistically. They're thinking about it just in terms of, right, I'll create my model, that's my job done. Yeah. But the real benefit to the organization is taking that, prioritizing that into the decisions and actions that people can take in order to best improve the business, and then using that to actually see what actions they take and learn from that. It becomes an interactive approach. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, with this mechanistic top-down approach is that everyone thinks the decision is made when it's put in a spreadsheet. Well, actually, no, the decision is made when it's actually acted on. And it's the learning from those actions which is going to help you iterate and succeed in the future. Yeah, I think, I think that's why I love our conversations, Phyllis, because I think when we're, we're sharing and bouncing ideas around, we're really talking here about closing that learning loop and then feeding yeah. that forward then into the rest of the system. And it's just those loops and loops. And again, you know, another way which comes to mind, it's a bit like probably the old assembly line at an old car manufacturer that it's, it's taken a lot of investment, years of emotion, physical capital, uh, financial capital to get it set up. And to change that could be quite disruptive. And I imagine a lot of finance teams probably set their functions up that way. Uh, what sort of baby steps can we start taking to move more towards something that's a bit more of an organism as opposed to a machine? Yeah, I, I think actually it's not about difficulty, it's about mindset more than anything oh, okay. else. If I look at 
finance versus different departments in the organization. So I, I have the benefit that I can look across marketing teams, I can look at sales teams, I can look at product teams. And you look at how quickly they have adjusted to things like social media coming into the way that they interact with channels. Or if you look at how quickly they've adjusted to make products hugely about user experience, how they've looked at that empirical approach to data associated with that and using the right tools, they've done that incredibly quickly. These were people who were working in spreadsheets 10 years ago or even five years ago. And now they're working with the right tools, which are helping them prioritize their decisions, run A-B tests, you know, those types of things in order to actually learn what is you know, best in, the, in their organization. And, and the reason that they've done that is that they saw people doing that easily, people succeeding with that, and then that gave them the social proof to actually drive that out across the rest of their organization. Yeah, I, actually, and when you mentioned marketing, one of my favorite quotes at the moment has just popped into my head. It's, it's by Ted Turner. He said, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and advertise. I think that's yeah. what we do in finance is we work like hell. We work goddamn hard. Sometimes it is a long old days, but I just don't think we advertise the successes we're having when we are trying to adopt this better mindset where we can actually be more valuable to the organizations. And I think that comes back probably to this idea around clarity of communication is probably maybe the next step for mindset is once we get that, how can we start advertising ourselves, what we're doing better, where we can help better? Do you have any sort of thoughts on how we can improve our clarity of communication? So I think many people in business in general are terrible communicators. And I'm, I'm sorry to say this about finance, but I think we're some of the worst of the lot. Oh. Because we, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know that's a harsh thing to say. Yeah. The, re the reason I believe that is because we communicate in spreadsheets, we communicate in numbers, mm. and a lot of people don't understand those numbers. I mean, how many people have taken a management account deck or have taken a report to the field and said, okay, something like your gross margin is 200 basis points below what it should be. And the person looks back at you with this dazed expression of what does that mean? And that is one of the most important parts of what you can do within an organization is take the complexity of what you're seeing in the world. And you have the benefit of doing that because you're not running around doing hundreds of different things, keeping customers happy, thinking about supply chains, thinking all the rest of it. You're actually sitting in the part of the organization where your purpose is to provide clarity out of all this complexity that's happening there yeah. and distill it and digest it to the people who are there. So I think about your user and we can come and talk about thinking about using the right technologies as well, yeah, because yeah. sometimes not the right technology. But it's about thinking about your user. Your user is someone in the business. That's, finance is there to support the business, improve and be better. We, we're, we're a function to do that. What does that user want? Why will we help the user through the information that, that we're giving to them? And it's having that type of mindset as well in terms of your communication, which makes you think, did they understand this? Did they take an action on this? Was it actually beneficial to them? Again, it's this whole learning aspect of not thinking as soon as you've done this report or you've done this spreadsheet, it's done, send it out, I've completed my task. It's actually, how can I iterate and improve on this to actually make it better for my organization in the future? Yeah, actually, what you've just said, Phil, really resonates with me. Um, also, at the moment, I'm, I'm reading a book. I don't know if you've come across it. It's by Cal Newport, uh, So Good They Can't Ignore. I haven't come across that one. Well, I think he lifted straight from a quote from the comedian Steve Martin, one of my, my favourite movies, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I like a bit of comedy around, uh, around finance, keeps it nice and fun. But on a more serious angle, I think what you're touching on is really it's concerning because... I feel that there's a perception that 
the way generations are working up and coming through the workforce is that people are asking too much what can i get out of society what can i get out of life which is very much a taker mindset and then you've mm-hmm. got others where in finance we're support service and our role is to be able to support the business the end users and so on and it's more like the way cal newport's describing this is being more like a craftsperson is figuring out how we can craft what we do to deliver something of value to an end user, putting ourselves in their shoes, talking their language, and so on. And I feel that we're at a very much an inflection point. If, if someone wants to have a meaningful and rewarding career in finance, the, the, the way to do that is to become like the craftsperson, is to craft yeah. things that people value. And, and I like the fact you mentioned technology as perhaps an enabler, because if you think about it, the structures we've been using, the, the models, the spreadsheets so far, yes, they're still useful and will be for a long time. Just how we, we're never really going to be able to break out of that mindset or have a way of facilitating conversations without maybe improvements in technology. Is that where you see maybe a way of offsetting that risk that will be too selfish and maybe not as giving as we should? So I, I think my response to that is every single person within a company is trying to provide value for someone else. Someone in the field is trying to provide value for a customer. Someone in innovation is also trying to provide value for a customer. So there's always a, a role for you to provide value mm, for someone there else. Is, yeah. I'm really like picking up on that word value because that is one of the most important words that finance can think in terms of how it's interacting with the rest of the organization. How am I providing value? And when I talk about technology, there is so much of what is done today, which is, you know, e- even finance people themselves would say, isn't providing value, it's going through road to tasks. So putting together a consolidated spreadsheet, doing exceptional reporting, how much of your time every week are you spending doing the mundane versus inquiry in terms of mm-hmm. going out and speaking with people in the business about what value you can bring to them. So when we talk about technology as an enabler, it is exactly that. I, I remember I was having a conversation and I'm, I don't know whether he's been on your show, but Robin Kiziak was putting something up on LinkedIn the other day about, are you worried about RPA? And I'm like, you shouldn't be worried about RPA because RPA takes the things off your plate, which allows you to do the things that really matter and are really much more fun, which is provide value to the business. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great way of actually feeling like you're, you're getting meaning from the work in finance or whatever, because if you're providing value, you'll get that feedback. Comes back to the point about the the closing the loop earlier. It feeds into even finding more work. And then if you're advertising that and being clear about your communications, you're going to get more of it. It's like a really, it's like a good flywheel. It's a self fulfilling prophecy, and actually sets us up for really good careers. Are you seeing any examples, Phil, in terms of your work, your visibility of of companies doing this? What sort of things are they they doing to keep adding more value in finance? So. I think those companies who we work with who are doing well are the ones who are embracing this new mindset mm-hmm. and embracing the technology, not seeing it as something which is a threat to their jobs, but seeing it as something that actually allows them to keep relevance in the world today. Because let's be honest, if we, ourselves, if we continue to see ourselves as just number crunchers, we are no different from, from computers. and. Um, those computers will replace the nature of finance. You're already seeing it in a lot of the compliance activities. So the companies that I'm seeing successful today are seeing you know, thinking about finance as a value creator within the organization. And you know, those finance teams are saying, okay, what needs to be different about the way that I look about my role versus what it was, say, 
you know, before this wave of new technologies, before this wave of differences came in. And I think one of the big things that we're seeing, which is different, is this fact about being a business partner more than like the compliance and controls and treasury side of things. But it's also about thinking about where am I bringing value across the organization and bringing in different areas of value other than just the financial numbers. And, and this is a big open question. I think one that is really important to the relevance of finance in future is finance has always been the gatekeeper controller yeah. of information within the organization because all information pretty much up until about 20 years ago was financial information. That was the information that actually drove your decision-making within an organization by putting together your PL, your balance sheet, and your cash flow statement. We have seen an overwhelming amount of new data coming into organizations. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Many operational data, but the nature of that operational data in many different organizations is owned by different people. Is it owned by IT? Is it owned by operations? Is it owned by marketing? Is it owned by finance? And I think one of the other mindsets that we need to bring in is that operational data can be a leading indicator. Financial data can be a lagging indicator. And actually understanding how the two of them marry and how you're making decisions of the two of them that ultimately leads to the success of the business in future is something that finance is really well placed oh, to be yeah. a thought partner within that. However, if they think far too much just about the financial data and not bringing in that operational part of things as well, then they're effectively having conversations with only half the book or only half the language effectively. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what I suppose... Um... I think we have to access to the data. We've accessed the decision makers. So we're all very well positioned to do this. We've got great training as well. And that broad visibility of the end-to-end business. is It's something that I feel that, that Corsa does very well. And perhaps our audience may be not as familiar with it. Is actually provide a framework to have a, a conversation so that we're not missing that other half, if that makes sense. And maybe fully utilizing our potential to add and create value with the organization. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I'm so excited about the nature of what we're doing with organizations is it's taking that complexity and helping finance, but also helping operations really simplify it into actually helping value within the business. So you know, also it's about effectively like a really simple idea, which is taking all of that information within the business and digesting it to each and every single one of your managers within the organization. What are the three next best things that they can do? Mm in order to improve the business and then tracking and learning from those to see whether or not it's actually driving value so you can complete that loop. Yeah, and, then, and that's great because, yeah, you're closing the loop and you're feeding it back in again. So it's that constant learning, turning it into an organism, not mechanistic. Yeah, and it's not about just providing a passive report to people. I mean, Chris Argent you know, describes it as analytics with a workflow. It's actually understanding when you interact with people around the data that you're providing them and learning back from that Decision-making isn't just point in time, it's continuous. And, and that's the really important part of what we're providing to finance teams as one of the stakeholders in the organization that we interact with, is that continuous learning around the nature, not just of the analytics and you know, taking that off their plate, but what people are doing with that. So you, you can point your business in the right direction towards success. That's, uh, you know, what the bit that caught me there, Phil, was decision-making is continuous. And I think that's probably the big change with that old world business that you mentioned. Now, putting it together is it was very much decisions could be made, re-evaluated, then, then, then made. They were fairly, 
how do you say discontinuous uh, maybe uh, not you know mutually exclusive to some degree whereas now the way how fast things move and 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 the complexity of what's going on decisions need to be made much more regularly and and quite fast and maybe that's why we feel a lot of pressure at the moment i i think we've always been too long cycle yes long so, cycle yes yeah it, it, it's an, an interesting you know the thought process to me and some of the data that we're seeing within the organizations that we work with, which is you know, most companies go on 12 month cycles, like you do your annual budget and it, at, yes, most, exactly. yes. it, at most, if they're condensing it down, they put it into a quarterly cycle. But <laughs> the thing that we have found about the most successful plans or actions that are written within our system, they last three to four weeks. And people wow. recall those, recall that action. They, they generate the, the, improvements in their sales, their costs, or their KPIs associated with it, they managed to capture and continue to keep 85% of that improvement for the rest of the like nine months afterwards, after they've you know, taken those four week um, improvements in place, based on focusing on that very grandly for a period of time and building a habit out of it. So when you, yeah. it's, about, it's about continuous store steps. You don't climb a mountain by just getting to the top immediately, which is an, an analogy to how we think of budgets. We see this big peak in front of us in terms of what we've got to hit. And everyone gets confused and quite anxious about whether or not they're going to make it. Actually breaking that down into steps that you're going to take in order to hit that, adjusting and adapting to making sure that you're going in the right direction is a far more effective way of hitting your targets. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And also one one lesson that a previous guest meant to share in the show was, you know, the compounding effect. So breaking it down and those small one percent here, there and there, they compound and then across this a year that one percent a day becomes three thousand seven hundred percent by the end of the year it's amazing what you can achieve in and, and that so totally and that is one of the real benefits of those companies that are agile at the moment and i, I don't know how much your viewers know about agile but agile really comes down to three principles which is you know, stated by steve Denny, but it's the law of the customer the law of the small team and the law of the network and the law of customer i mean what is the purpose of what you're trying to do is to try and create frictionless, intimate relationships with your customers. And when you're creating frictionless, intimate relationships with your customers and you have that mindset, you're always generating your both your marketing, your innovation, but everything you're doing mm. towards satisfying that customer. That's a good point. The law of the small team is about actually breaking things down into as small a parts as possible and iterating them rapidly drives more success. And the law of the network is it's about intense collaboration, bringing people together as a network rather than a mechanistic body, which is what drives success. And that's why when you look at the most successful companies out there, they're all saying that agile because they have learned this, they have adopted this paradigm shift quicker than most others. So you look at your Amazons, your Apples, even your Facebooks, your Netflix, they are employing day by day these methodologies in order to drive business success. I, like and actually, I've got to throw another one in there, Tesla, who I know because I, I made a reference to car manufacturers, whatever, but it seems like they're adopting this organism type mindset because they're not just a car manufacturer now. They do so many other things. They branch out into different products. They've got um, power generation. They've got power storage. Uh, they've got things you can put on the top of your house. It's just amazing when you've got that network, when you've got that small teams and when you've got the customer at the forefront of the decisions as well in terms of adding value and creating value for them you can pretty much go in loads of different directions my only concern is and i'd be interested to get your thoughts on it phil is you mentioned the word relevant earlier how do we stay relevant or whatever is there a risk that finance if we don't start 
embracing some of this paradigm shift the likes of operations marketing and other teams it for instance uh, would overtake finance in terms of relevance in organizations why well, i think you're already seeing that mm. in some organizations Probably. yeah yeah that, that is, is the reality which is i mean if i think about people we, we talk about those skills that we have as people in finance in terms of like understanding the numbers understanding the relevance of them if you want to think about where those types of people are going there's a lot of them not going into finance teams anymore. They're going into marketing teams. Yeah. There are certain companies where pricing and you know, fulfillment, delivering things like that is being taken care of by marketing rather than finance. So th this is why I say this is an important junction now for finance to really start driving this mindset. Because exactly as you say, you know, financial data is not the gatekeeper data within organizations. It's not the, the sole position of where you're going to have power around decision-making data-wise. All this other data has come in as well. You either become part of it, or you put up your fixed mindset hand and say, I'm not going to be part of it, and you get taken over. Yeah, yeah, that's... I, I think, I, you know what, you just answered my question there, Phil, like that's the, the first step we need to take <laughs> so we don't get left behind. So I completely agree. Look, Phil, you've been giving us great advice. I, I really appreciate it. I suppose in terms of yourself, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with my wife on this one, which is she has a mentality in life which is encapsulated by the phrase, this too shall pass which I think is one of the most wonderful phrases that was ever written yeah. about think about the whole nature of life in terms of its temporality, which is if things are going bad, this too shall pass and there will be a, a sunny day as well as a rainy day. Don't get too caught up in what you're doing at the moment because things will change and this too shall pass. And you know, enjoy what you have in life today because this too shall pass as well. So I, I think that is something i'm very glad she gave me as a, a philosophy and mentality in life yeah yeah i completely sub subscribe to that and also on that last point with it people tend to focus on when things aren't going maybe as, as way we would like but it's also when things are going well is to appreciate it uh, be grateful for it and actually enjoy the moment too life's too short no, it's great, great advice, Phil. And I suppose, look, you mentioned a resource earlier about Agile. I'd love to, to dig out and put that into the show notes. Would there be any other resources that audience could check out that might help them on this journey? Yeah, so I think, you know, th things, we, we've obviously got a blog out there at the moment. We write quite a lot of things around this, mainly for retailers and QSRs. So please go and check that out at Corso.com. I also think that there's some really good thinkers out there like Steve Denning, actually people like the McChrystal Group, so General McChrystal oh, wrote yeah. a book called Teams, which actually is a really good, uh, clear description of, you no, know, something not business actually, but it's more in the army, but the way that they're dealing with complexity with actually, although he'd never say it, actually employing some of these agile principles as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not actually got around to reading that one. I'll have to add that one to the, the next bit of the list on Kindle. So thanks for those recommendations, yeah. Phil. And I suppose, look, if our audience do wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, like many of us at the moment. So please do connect with me there. But also, if you follow Corso on a LinkedIn channel as well, you'll see some of the things that we're publishing as well. But on LinkedIn, I try and post regularly around the things that we're seeing, try and provide some value and really enjoy the conversations that I'm having there with people around what's interesting to them. The other thing, if you're interested in some of the stuff that we're doing, and I know very few people give this out on the podcast, but my email is phil.thorne at Corso. 
com. Just shoot me an email and I'll try and get, try and get back to you with any thoughts. Okay, you might curse me for this, Phil, but I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes for now. And if we do need to drop the email of it, so we will. So our audience get in there quickly, uh, <laughs> uh, just in case we ever take that email down. But no, that's great, Phil. So thanks for the go in the show notes. And uh, I, I also encourage your audience to check out as well the, the blogs, because one thing that I have noticed since we started the podcast is more and more people are contributing in finance, which is fantastic. And I always love our conversations, Phil. So we've had many over the years and it's a shame. It's a shame they're all happening over Zoom. It'd be great to do so in person. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait for a, a period where we're able to actually get together as you know, finance communities again and actually start discussing the future because I, I think for all of us, it's been a very challenging time. And you know, a lot of people have been celebrated and rewarded for how quickly that they've moved in different things. A lot of finance people who've had to generates daily updates to executives and and those types of things actually coming together like having a drink and like saying sharing war stories but also you know thinking about the future together will be an amazing thing to do when things clear up again yeah so i'm really looking forward to that but i suppose in the meantime uh, as we're wrapping up would you have any other parting thoughts for our audience i i think my only other parting thought is you know Finance people have a fantastic set of skills, which are so relevant to the nature of where I believe and we believe the future is going. And my encouragement to them is to embrace that, have a growth mindset around that, not get too fixed up in the things that they're doing at the moment, to go out and look at new technologies, to look at new ways of working, because the, the only thing constant, and it's definitely the thing that's happening at the moment is change. And you're either with it or you're against it. That's a great way to bring the show to a a, a finish. So, Phil, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Andrew, it's been absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me, I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 